Thank you. Thank you, Josh and Carla. Was that something else? Yeah. Uh, from this little light of mine to holy, holy, holy. I thought we were, if I forgot we were Presbyterians for a moment, that kind of brought us back into focus, didn't it? Yes, praise God. Uh, I've wrestled with our text this week, uh, Mark 8 and 9. It's a marvelous passage of Scripture describing Jesus' ministry from the Gentile periods up in Caesarea Philippi and then going back through Galilee. And uh, chapter, the, uh, chapter 10 tells us that uh, Jesus and his disciples headed back to Jerusalem for what we know as Passion Week, uh, the, the triumphal entry. But this period of time, this period in Jesus' ministry is, is, is some, in some ways a bit puzzling. And I read it over and over again. And, and by the way, I have taken the three synoptic gospels and taking, taking Mark as the center and then adding Matthew and Luke and blocked the text like I, I've done that uh, previously. And if any of you would like, it's a m wonderful way to read these gospels, to see the three texts together. So if any of you would like a copy of that, let us know. Just email us at the office or email me personally, and we'll send that to you. It's a great way to, to compare the three because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in many instances, put a bit of a different nuance on, on each uh, story, on each pericope. So th th as I wrestled and prayed through this thing this week, I, I kept looking for, is there a unifying theme here? Is Mark trying to show us something? And I think he is. And, and the overriding theme is Jesus' struggle with discouragement. In each of these, there are 10 stories that, that are woven through, that, that, that take us through this period of time in Jesus' ministry. And in all but two of them, there's a, a, a as you read it, you say, uh, really? <laughs> Where you see an element of, of opposition, an element of ignorance, an element of just not getting it. And here Jesus has spent this time with his disciples, the master teacher, the royal great word of God personified, Jesus in the flesh, and he's trying to teach his disciples, and they're not getting it. And, and there are a couple times where it's like Jesus says, hey, come on, guys. And, and not in those words exactly, but pretty that's the nuance. And so as we go to, to, to Mark chapter uh, 8, uh, this verse 11, it follow, well, actually Mark 8, 1, is the feeding of the 4,000. This is done in Gentile territory. These folks have, have uh, been uh, miraculously fed on, on a scant bit of bread and fish. And so this, this incredible miracle, very visible miracle, very obvious miracle, where people were seeing this thing multiply before them. After that miracle, the feeding of the 4,000, verse 11, Mark tells us that the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They ask him for a sign from heaven. And then Mark says this word, he sighed deeply. He groaned, come on, guys. I mean, you just filled your fat bellies with bread and fish that I miraculously provided for you? And now you come and say, hey, we want to test. We want you to prove that your claim is real. 
I probably would have done more than sigh deeply. I mean, Jesus didn't cuss people out, and, and I don't either. But I, I wonder if he had come on. He sighed deeply. He said, why does this generation ask for another sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given it. And then, and, and he, then it says, then he left them. He got back into the boat and crossed the sea to the other side. It was almost like foy. Foy. And so he and his disciples are in the boat. They're crossing the, the, the Sea of Galilee and going back to, uh, to uh, Israel, the, the Palestine land. And he said, that, and, and, and Mark tells us, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. And Jesus spoke. He said, be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed with each other about the bread. He said, he said that because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them eight questions. Now, Jesus is using some profound language here. He's saying now that, you know, he, he had talked about yeast before, and these guys, they were his disciples, and they had been following him. And so what he was saying, and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod, is beware of these little seeds of unbelief, these seeds of doubt, this yeast that, that, that gets into the bread, and it spreads, and it fills the whole loaf of bread. He said, be careful with these little things that can discourage you. That's what he was helping them after the what they had just seen with the Pharisees' refusal to believe. He says, be, beware of that. All these guys, they were, oh, yeah, he's not going to have any more bread. We only got one loaf. We got, boy, with Jesus, there are 13 of us in the boat. We ain't got one loaf of bread. Did anybody bring the peanut butter? You know, and Jesus, hey, guys, get your heads out of the bread. And, and here's what he asked them. Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears that fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves of bread for the 5,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? Twelve. They replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They said, oh, let's see. Seven. He said to them, do you still not get it? Do you still not understand? Have you ever been discouraged? Have you ever thought, I, 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 it's like Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill and the rock rolls back on you. You push it up the hill and the whole thing. Jesus is saying, you guys still don't get it. I'm trying to teach you profound stuff and you're concerned over a loaf of bread. You don't get it. But I want you to notice something here. This particular language. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? 
And he's linking, as he does so frequently, light with truth and seeing with understanding. Don't miss that in this pericope about these guys in the boat and these questions that Jesus is asking. Don't you see? Do you have eyes but don't see? And then the next story is about one of the weirdest miracles in the whole Bible. I say the weirdest. Jesus healed a blind guy, and the guy couldn't see right, so Jesus healed him again. Anybody ever read that and wondered what that's about? Me too. Until this week. They came to Bethsaida, verse 22, Mark chapter 8. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And then we had this very elaborate process. Jesus usually said, see, and the guy saw. But he, he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. He didn't want this to be a big public spectacle. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And the guy looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. You, you, you sort of did a miracle, Jesus, but <laughs> thanks, I can kind of see. But once more, Jesus put his hand on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. You see the connection to the disciples? Don't you see? Do you have eyes but can't see? You still do not see or understand? So then here's a blind man. And, and look at the references here. Between these two stories, there are 12 references to seeing. Brought a blind man. Jesus took him outside the village. He spit on the man's eyes and then asked, do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people, but I don't see them clearly. They don't look like people. They look like trees. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. And that two-step miracle pictures Jesus teaching his disciples. They see, at first they didn't understand at all. They were blind. Then they began to see, but they didn't see clearly. And, and Jesus didn't get discouraged that he was teaching them and it just blew right over their head. And then he didn't get discouraged when he taught them and they sort of got it like the blind man I can see, but it looks, this is not clear to me yet. So Jesus came back again patiently, not discouraged. Oh boy, blew that miracle. What are they going to do? No, he said, let's try it again. And then it says he put his hands on the man's eyes. The guy's eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And finally he saw everything clearly. And Mark is saying through these two chapters and through these 10 stories, there is a process of learning. There is a process of growing. You may not always get it the first time, even the master teacher with these guys who had committed their lives to saying, I, I will die with you. Even they had to take time to hear these truths and hear them again and see the miracles and see them again and feed 4,000 people out of their own hands. These were the guys who were distributing the bread when the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. They were part 
part, participants in it. That was the word I was looking for, yeah. And it's, we don't get everything clearly the first time. It takes a little time. But yeah, and, and so even these guys, sitting in the boat, Jesus is talking about bread. The miracle, both 5,000 and 4,000, feeding them bread. And they're sitting one, oh, gee, what are we going to do now? We got a loaf of bread and 13 guys. He said, first of all, I'm, talking about, I'm not even talking about bread, but what breaks my heart is you guys don't even get it. And then Mark drops this, and the only, Mark is the only gospel writer who includes this two-step miracle. And what he's saying is, be patient with these guys. Jesus was, that seeing sometimes takes multiple exposures. And some of us have sat in church, and we've heard these stories, and we've heard these stories, and we've sung these songs, and periodically the light goes on, and we get new insight. So if you're Kids aren't growing and learning as fast as you want. Your grandchildren, you say, man, I tell them these, they don't get Jesus was patient. Jesus could have been easily discouraged, but he wasn't. Then the next story uh, in uh, uh, Mark 8, 27, uh, we go from a kind of a downer. You know, the disciples not getting in the boat, getting it in the boat. And then in Mark 8, 27, Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, up in the north. On the way, Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. What about you, Jesus said? Who do you say I am? But Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Matthew elaborates and gives a fuller answer. Mark just says, Peter said, you are the Messiah. Uh, Matthew says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by the flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. Peter got it. It had to be very encouraging to Jesus. Great story. Then we go to verse 31, where Mark says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Matthew tells us at this point, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and be killed. Well, now, Peter had just said, wait a minute, you're you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And now you're telling us that the Messiah, the Son of God, is going to be killed by the Gentiles? Uh, Jesus, excuse me, but your theology is a little messed up here. I know you're the teacher, but no, 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 no. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Say, you don't get it, buddy. Well, when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. So, right after this beautiful 
confession that you are the Christ, the Son of God, which said Peter's getting it, Peter turned around and said, I'm not getting it. You can't die. Matthew tells us, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get me behind, get behind me, Satan, because you're a stumbling block to me. I, I get it. I know who I am, Jesus said. I don't want to die. His final prayer there in the, not final prayer, but his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. His father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And here Peter, early on, is saying, you don't have to do this. You can't do this. Says, Peter, get behind me. I don't need to hear that. It's actually Satan speaking through Peter. So once again, this, this up and then this down. The guy who praised him and said, you are the son of God, then turned and said, you can't do this. Well, Mark 8, uh, 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny self says, I am not the one running my life. Taking up the cross says, I am willing to give myself totally over to the one who is my master. That was the symbol of the, of the crucified person carrying part of the cross was to say, the Romans dominated me and they have the right to kill me. And so this idea of taking up your cross says, I am, I am following wholeheartedly. And then that's the word, take up their cross and follow me. And uh, so that, that teaching, Jesus is saying, this is what I'm looking for. I want disciples. Then uh, Mark 9, verse 2, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain, probably Mount Hermon, where they were all alone, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white. And this is what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus, in order to, to help his disciples understand, to help them see who he really is, to verify that truth that Peter had said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter said to, Jesus said to Peter, James, and John, I want you guys to come with me. I want you to actually see this thing. And there on the mountain, Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus on the mountain. And it says, Jesus' clothes became dazzling white. The description here is much like the descriptions we see in the book of Revelation of the glorified Christ. And the disciples See, Jesus with Moses, the great lawgiver. And according to Malachi, chapters 3 and 4, with, uh, uh, who was the other guy? Moses and Elijah. <laughs> with Elijah, who is the one who is going to come to announce the coming of Jesus, of the Messiah. So this affirmation, yes, Peter, you were right. No, Peter, you were wrong. <laughs> yes, you are right. I am the Son of God. No, you are wrong that the Son of God cannot be crucified. But just to put it in perspective, I want you to understand that this person, this Jesus, who you've been following, this human person who's been teaching you, will be crucified. But I will be crucified because I am the Messiah. I did not come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. 
And only me, Jesus the human, who is also Christ the Messiah, can die for your sins. This is my mission. This being turned over to the Gentiles, this being crucified on the cross, this giving my life, even though I don't have to. That's my mission. That's what this whole thing is about. I came to seek and to save the lost. I came to be the sacrificial lamb, to shed my blood, to cover the sins of the human race, to remove sin from anyone who asks for my forgiveness. It is as the God-man that I am able to die and that I am willing to die. Yes, Peter, I am the Christ, the Messiah. And I am Jesus. And I will be crucified. Profound truth. Enormous truth. They came down from the mountain. And the next story is about them rejoining the rest of the disciples, the other nine guys. And there's a hubbub going on here in this town there near Caesarea Philippi, and people are all discussing, and there's a bunch of scribes there arguing with the disciples. And when they saw Jesus, everybody ran to him and said, well, here's the guy, here's Jesus. And Jesus said, what's going on? They said, well, this man brought his son, his demon-possessed son, and asked us to, uh, to cast out the, the demon. And, and, uh, uh, and they couldn't. And in verse 19, Mark chapter 9, verse 19, Jesus said, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long will I put up with you? Matthew and Luke both say, Jesus said, you unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I stay with you? This is so discouraging. This is so hard to get. Jesus said, you know, I gave you guys power to cast out demons. <laughs> and here this guy comes with his son and well, Mark tells us once they get in the house, the disciples said, hey, what happened? How come we couldn't cast it out? Verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we get rid of that demon? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. It's a matter of faith, guys. It's not a magic show. It's not you doing it. When you get discouraged in the work, when you get discouraged in following me, it's a matter of faith. It's a matter of prayer. It's a matter of waiting on God. It's reminding yourself that this isn't all about you. You have to deny yourself and take up your cross. This is about God working through you. It's a matter of prayer. You want to do the work of God? You want to be encouraged in your walk with God? Don't try it by yourself. It's like the TV ad says, don't, do, don't try this at home. It's only by my power. 
but by my power you can do marvelous things. And then they left Caesarea Philippi and passed through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were, where Mark 9, verse 30. Because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise again. So a second time, Jesus announced to his disciples, yeah, guys, I am going to be crucified. I told you that once, and it seemed to blow over your head. What happened this time? But they did not understand what he meant. <laughs> second time, Jesus told them, I'm going to be crucified. I am the Messiah. But I will be killed by the hands of men. How hard is that to understand? I mean, Jesus is speaking it. It's the second time he told them. They still didn't get it. And now they were so embarrassed, they were afraid to ask him about it, it says in verse 32. Profound truth does not digest easily. Some of you may be saying, I've been a Christian all my life, and there's still stuff I don't understand. Join a club. Here are guys who have been personally taught by Jesus himself, and twice he told them, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be killed, and they, just, they, they couldn't get their heads around it. It was too big for them to get. Then they came to Capernaum, and, and uh, the, the, the rest of this story is talking about, uh, again, their discouragement and their difficulty in understanding. So what? What would Mark have us take away from this? What's the, what's the takeaway here? Well, Jesus was able to sustain these disappointments, these frustrations, for a number of reasons. First, Jesus understood his mission. Three times, three times he told these guys, I've come for a purpose, I have a mission. And because I have a clear sense of my mission, I get discouraged, but I keep going. I keep going. He passionately embraced his mission. Like we said before, in the night in, in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, I don't want to do this, but it is mine to do. And he passionately embraced it. He resolutely kept moving toward his mission. Luke, uh, Luke says when Jesus went through it, left Caesarea Philippi and headed for Jerusalem, he says he resolutely set his intention toward Jerusalem. I am going to do this. I'm going to do this. When we get discouraged, we need to remember why we're here. What is our mission? Keep our eye on the mission. Keep our eye on the ball. Passionately embrace it. Say, I am doing this not for me. I'm doing this for the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for me, who lives inside me through his Holy Spirit. And by faith, by faith, by faith, I will follow my Lord. Unquenchable faith 
and God's power to accomplish his mission. Kept Jesus focused on the mission. Jesus said, I will build my church. And no matter how discouraging and disillusioning life gets at times, you say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And you know, uh, I read the last chapter. Revelation, we win in the end. Keep your eye on the ball. When it gets tough, the tough get going. The weenies get going too, but they get going out the door. The tough get going. And Jesus wanted us to never forget what we're all about, what our mission is, what our purpose is, what he's all about, why he came, why the Messiah, the Christ, could announce that he would give his life, because that's why he came. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that, that this celebration that Jesus had with his disciples the night before he was crucified, where he, he asked them to never, never, never forget what he was going to do for them, to die for them and to rise from the grave to give them eternal life. And so at the end of that meal, Jesus uh, uh, took the bread and, and, and he broke it, symbolically broke it. And he said to his disciples, tomorrow, tomorrow, you're going to see my body broken. It's going to be ripped apart for you. So from now on, whenever you eat this bread, whenever you eat this bread, would you just stop for a moment and say thank you? And say we remember and we love you and we worship you and we appreciate what you did so in your little gizmo here your little cup thing uh, take the top part off and take the bread and take a moment just to reflect that's what Jesus asked us to do to remember to think Take a moment to reflect and say thank you and meditate on Jesus' body broken for you. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper. And he said, just as the bread symbolizes my broken body, this cup symbolizes my blood which is shed for you. And whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. So turn your little cup thing over and Take a moment again to reflect, to think, to say thank you, and drink ye all of it.
Lord, you've taught us profound things, things too great for us to comprehend, things that not only intellectually are hard to grapple with, but spiritually are sometimes impossible. They're too big, too grand. And so understanding you and, and knowing you is always a quest and never a conquest. We will never, with our finite minds, grasp your infinite truth. And when we get discouraged, when we get discouraged in our efforts to understand, when we get discouraged in our efforts to perform, to do what you ask us to do, I pray you will help us remember, remind us that our Savior went through some really discouraging situations, but he was never discouraged. He had a sense of his mission. He had a passion for his mission. He had a profound sense of faith that with God, nothing is impossible. And I pray, Lord, as your children, we will live with that mantra, nothing is impossible with God. And no matter how tough life gets, no matter how discouraging life gets, I pray that our faith and the model we have in our Lord Jesus Christ will sustain us. Now let's stand for the benediction and go home. <laughs>